0: Good
1: morning Turks and Caicos. Welcome to the program Expressions. I'm your host Robert Hall. Today we're broadcasting live from Studio B in Providenciales. I hope all of you are awake and doing well uh, today. Uh, There are lots of things happening. I'm having a different guest, so tune in. Call up your friends, your relatives, your wife, your husband, your children. Let them know that Expressions is on. I want to welcome you, whether you're over there in the nation's capital, Grand Turk, or just across to the south over in Salt Key, or down on the big south the fishing capital of the Turks and Caicos, or you're over on the Twin Islands, I'll call it the breadbasket, as far as the agricultural side, Middle and North Caicos. And, of course, I'm delighted to be here in Providenciales today. Uh, This is really the economic hub. Uh, Things are really moving here. I often say it's like a locomotive moving on its own steam. (laughs) I tell you, every day you see something else happening here in this. Oh, boy. I guess many up on the other side are envious, wish that something will spread there. But it's all a matter of time. Okay, and I want to welcome those who happen to be over there on West Caicos or on Ambergris Keys, making up the beautiful by nature Turks and Caicos. Ladies and gentlemen, with that, I want to welcome you and all members of the diaspora, wherever you happen to be, whether in the United Kingdom, the United States of America, the Caribbean, or particularly in the Bahamas, where we have large numbers of persons of Turks and Caicos origin, and many who are yet Turks and Caicos citizens. Uh, The world is now at a very delicate stage. Many are of the feeling that we are just like on the edge of a third world war. You have the tensions with China and Taiwan, you have the ongoing war with Ukraine and Russia, and now you have that terrible situation with, uh, with Israel and uh, Hezbollah. Uh, it, it, it is awful, and no one knows where that would lead. Let us pray for peace And I often refer to these things, although lots of times Turks and Caicos Islanders don't like us to talk about what happens elsewhere. But whatever happens elsewhere, to a great extent, will affect us one way or another. And although that conflict is far away in Israel and Gaza, you notice the streets of the United States are now taken over by protesters. United Kingdom. South Africa, wherever. So, you know, we have to just watch out. Anyway, before we get going, let's begin with a word of prayer. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father and our God, we come before you this day. You who hold the whole world in your hands. You understand and have the answers to the major conflicts. We pray dear Father, that you will bring peace to mankind peace in Ukraine, peace in Israel. Help them all to understand that the life of an Israeli is just as precious as the life of a Palestinian. The blood is basically the same. Help them that common sense and decency would prevail to avert the massive suffering of thousands, and, of course, the death and destruction that goes along with it. We pray for our own island home. We thank God that we are relatively safe, although there are the criminal elements that seek to destroy our way of life. And so we pray that parents starting at home would do their best to guide their children, We pray for the protection of all of our police officers and those who seek to maintain law and order. And help us all as responsible citizens that we would play our part. Bless us today and always, for we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Again, I want to welcome you. And today, like I said, I have two sets of guests for the first 25 minutes now or so. Uh, we'll have members from the DDME. Here in Studio B and Providenciales, I have Ms. Alison Gordon, the Director of DDME, and in Grand Turk, uh, I expect that the Deputy Director would be there, and uh, Ms. Downs, the legal draftsman for government. Uh, they are going to speak to certain uh, regulations that have been brought into effect, and uh, without further ado, I will introduce them. I'm not sure of which way it's going to go, but I suppose the director, who is here with a very lovely smile, uh, she will lead off. Miss
2: Gordon. Thank you so very much. Good morning. And to all our listeners, a very pleasant good morning. It's indeed our pleasure to bring to the attention of the nation the um, Disaster Management uh, Systematic Shutdown Regulations 2023, Uh, which is aimed at protecting lives, protecting property, protecting the environment, and the resources. So we will continue the discussions after the deputy introduces herself.
1: All right. Those of you in Grand Turk, just go right ahead and introduce yourselves.
3: Good morning, Turks and Caicos. Uh, We're happy to have been here to as our director would have indicated introduced the national systematic shutdown regulation Um, it is our aim to ensure that uh, we keep safety at the forefront at ddme and we would like to not only um, have that uh in our actions but also the um, legal framework that's required so we're just going to go ahead and speak on the regulations thank you
1: and miss miss downs
3: uh, Ms. Downs would not be here um, at this time, sorry.
1: All right, then. Well, either of you could take the lead and just speak to the regulations for the benefit of our listening public. Now, let me say to all of them, this is extremely important. So I would suggest that all who are listening, please listen attentively.
2: Okay, thank you. So I'll start with the um, just the background of it, and then Miss um, Lucas can pick up on the fines and, and, and the other implications of not following. So it's important for all citizens to know that this is aimed at slow-onset events, preferably, um, specifically weather-related events, where we'll have that lead time in terms of giving adequate warning to the public. So in the event we have a hurricane or any weather-related event, we would have the situation where the guidance is given to the governor on the advice of the director and of course depending on what is happening from the legal experts and it, that recommendation is made to the governor who now bring the shutdown in effect the important for us it's important for us to note i said it in the opening and i want to emphasize it we don't want the public to see the regulation as a punitive measure the primary focus or the primary reason it's for the safety correct safety is the most important reason it's not the fines that we believe in that persons a life cannot be replaced and so we want to ensure that the public is aware that the department of disaster management and emergencies and by extension the government of the Turks and Caicos Islands values life and whatever regulations we need to put in place to ensure that persons are protected, then th- that is what we continue to do.
1: Yes, and, and indeed, we are right in the hurricane zone, and uh, uh, God has been good to us, so is Mother Nature. And um, so far, and I say so far, because we are not quite yet at the end of the hurricane season, and many uh, when they see September is passed, because that's our deadliest month, they tend to say, hurrah, it's all over. <laughs> and that's not quite so. But um, indeed, like I said, we're uh, thankful to Mother Nature, to the Almighty, uh, for sparing us uh, thus far. But of course, this is where these regulations come in uh, very, very handy, because uh, in the event of a major hurricane, you may just have to have a national shutdown. And God forbid, for instance, that there's something like a tsunami or or, or a major oil spill off our shores. But anyway, um, whether yourself or the deputy and grantor continue to expound.
2: Right. So just before the deputy comes in, um, it is important that I mention that it is a systematic shutdown. So we would have had situations where, for example, in Franklin earlier this year, It was threatened to affect more grand Turk than the entire island. So the systematic shutdown allows for either one island or several islands, depending on the threat, to be shut down and not necessarily all islands as it relates to that. And hence the whole matter of the systematic shutdown. So it's not a situation where... All islands will have to be shut down. It depends on the threat and which island, islands sorry, are most at risk. Miss mm-hmm. uh, Lucas can come in now and just give a brief on the penalties and the offenses.
3: Thank you. Go right so
2: ahead.
3: The systematic shutdown would initially be issued once um, the Turks and Caicos has been placed under a warning notification. And as the director would have indicated... That means that it's more for a slow onset, um, such as storms and um, hurricanes. So once we would have been issued with a warning notification, at that time, that's when the, uh, the governor would be able to issue a systematic shutdown. So as with any legal re- um, regulation, uh, once you breach that regulation, you would be guilty of an offence. Now, it is not the aim that we would like to have persons find. That's not really the purpose. We were really trying to encourage persons to adhere to the regulations. So once you breach it, you would be guilty of an offense. Now, that offense has a high penalty, um but it's similar to a uh, ticket mechanism with driving. So there's an offense, and there's also a ticket option. So the offense is uh, approximately $10,000 or uh, two years imprisonment. Um, However, the procedure that it takes is that once you have been found guilty of... uh, The the police officers are the enforcers. So if the police officer catches you... um, uh, breaching that regulation if the order has been given for approximately six o'clock let's just um, look at time and you are caught let's say about six thirty on the road the police officer then can issue you a ticket and that ticket has a lower penalty cost which you have the option of paying that penalty um, that penalty cost for individuals would be five hundred dollars and for businesses it would be five thousand dollars. So similarly, if the police officer goes to the business location um, and that location is still operating past the shutdown period, the police officer can issue a ticket. Um, if the individual or business opts not to uh, pay the ticket at the clerk um, to the clerk of the magistrate court, If the individual opts not to, then they can go to court and then they can be found guilty of an offence. So that's where the offence comes in. That's a higher penalty.
1: So that's that's where the $10,000 kicks in?
3: Yes, that's where the $10,000 kicks in.
1: So just by way of explanation for the public, if in the first instance the individual corporates having been ticketed and he pays the fine, then that does not go on his criminal record.
3: No, it's a ticket. It it will go as a ticket. It will just form as a ticket.
1: Right. But if he goes to court and is brought guilty, is it the same?
3: That can go on your record, because at that point you would have been guilty of the offense.
1: Right. That's what I want to make clear to the public. Um, As you say this, though I hate to be reminded of, but I remember the period of shutdown during COVID. Yes. (laughs) Uh, When... Of course, the law provided for similar fines and the like. So, in a way, this isn't something totally new to Turks and Caicos Islanders. So they should be able to understand that.
3: Yes. Yes.
2: Miss Lucas, if if I may just interject to the public. So if you choose to pay, you have up until 28 days, no later than 28 days from the date of the ticket being issued.
3: All right, continue, Miss Lucas. thanks. No, thank you. So for the regulation, uh the period <coughs> of twenty eight days as the director was speaking, um you would not there would not be any court proceedings during that period. So once you've taken the approach of um utilizing that twenty eight day period to pay the ticket that the police officer would have issued to you, you at that point would not be um as we spoke about guilty of the offense, you would not be found. Um, guilty in the court proceedings. There, were no, there would be no court proceedings. Um, also, so I'll go to um, the guidelines. So, just a little bit of an understanding. Um, under the regulation, there were some guidelines that were identified that allowed for um, some agencies that were identified as essential versus the non essential. And I know that we know during a storm you would want to get your hardware items to um, ensure that your shutters are secured. You want to get your last-minute groceries. So there were some agencies that would have been identified both on the private and the public sector um, that would be essential and they would be closing closer to the shutdown period versus, as we know, with schools, which would not necessarily need to stay open close to that period of time they would have more of an earlier shutdown. So there are some agencies that were identified as essential, and those essential agencies would have more of a later shutdown period. But, of course, everyone must be indoors at the the time that's um, stipulated under the shutdown order.
1: That's understood. Yes. Anything you wish to add, Madam Director?
2: Right, so um, just following up on the point that Miss Lucas raised, so let's think of like schools and daycares. So those would be among those priority sectors that you would really need at earlier time so that, you know, persons can get home, um, parents can call it their children and so on. So among schools and daycares, they should be considered some of those priority sectors. So the Minister of Education will have a critical um, role to play there. When we talk about non-essentials of the public sector, those are the persons who that do not appear in the essential services that we would have listed. So those would be treated on the second priority. So we have clearly stated in the the legislation and we have listed those that we would consider priority, those who would be on the secondary, so that we have an organized and phased approach to the whole matter of shutdown.
1: Sometimes the public get wary when they have legislation upon <laughs> legislation. But for everything, there has to be that legal framework uh, in which government or any entity operates. It uh, cannot just simply make decisions uh, willy nilly and enforce them. And so, this is, in my view, a very important piece of legislation. Of course, if any member of the public has a question, uh, then uh, you certainly can call in in between one nine hundred twenty two twenty two zero zero seven nine four six two zero zero seven, 2222 946-2007 or you may text me 244 back to you madam director or the deputy in grand Turk.
3: if i may uh, we'd also like to remind persons to ensure both Um, private as well as uh, uh, individuals to have your disaster preparedness plans as once a shutdown order has been given your disaster preparedness plan would be required to be put in place at that time so it's important to ensure that we're updating our plans that we know what to do if we're not sure you can always contact any of the DDME offices on any of the islands or any of the officers on the islands of South Caicos and um, um, north and middle Um, you would be able to get more information we have a family disaster plan book so we would want to ensure that persons at that point take into consideration um, the necessary steps for their disaster plan both businesses as well as individuals um, because at that point of the shutdown order, that would be issued. And the last aspect, which is similar to um, what we would have known as a curfew, there is, and with every um, storm, there is the all clear. So all residents would be reminded that you would not be allowed on the road until the all-clair has been provided. You're supposed to remain indoors, and the regulation will adhere until the all clear has been provided.
1: Well, that is all intended for their safety. Yes. Um, um, for instance, and I have gone through several hurricanes, um, like in Grand Turk, I recall, after Ike, all of the light poles were on the ground, snapped in three, like little match boxes And the, the wires from those poles, one tangled mess across the road. Now, there was always the potential of somebody being perhaps electrocuted. Hence, again, all the reasons why they ought to stay off the streets until an all-clear is given.
2: Uh, thank you for that. And I also want to add, and thanks, Ms. Lucas, that the operational clear will be issued for government entities, private sectors, critical entities to go and verify that it's safe. So you would mentioned the, the polls that are on the ground. Definitely we need a to go and to make sure that we have taken care of, they would have taken care of such situations so that when the public, the Auclair is given to the general public, it would be safe for them to do so. So it's important to know that once the event has passed, the operational clear will be given to those critical agencies who want to ensure that the safety or it is safe for the residents to go out. So we have to ensure that we really listen and know that when that op- operation out there is given, it doesn't mean the entire public is now free to go, but just so that the entities can ensure that it is safe for the public to go about.
1: Again, I'm offering opportunity to the public if they have any question or comments uh, to feel free to call us, one 900 7 or nine four six two zero zero seven. In the next 10 minutes or so, I expect to have in the studio uh, Honorable Dr. Rufus Ewing, and we're gonna have a very, very interesting dialogue. Yes. Uh, are there any other aspects to the legislation uh, that you need to explain? or you feel you've covered most bases?
2: I think we would have covered most, but I also want to add that this um, regulation comes into effect the 20th of October. So it is important that the public is sensitized that um, we're using various means to get the information out there so this is just one of the various medium that we'll use to get the public sensitized and informed I can't stress enough that your safety is our priority and therefore we are proactive enough to ensure that the regulations are in place to ensure that we all are safe
1: thanks much any comments uh, from the deputy and grantor?
3: Uh, thank you. I think uh, the director's sentiments, I would echo them. Um, we want to really ensure that safety is at the forefront. We want to encourage persons not to breach because it's not about the fines and the offence. It's also about really ensuring that the protection of loss and um, protection from loss of property, from lives, and protection of the environment and our infrastructures at the utmost important. So, we just want to um, encourage persons to adhere. Um, there's, uh, sorry, there's one other aspect. I We did not mention the ticketing. Uh, there is the option for a second ticket. So, if you have been issued with a ticket and you continue to breach um, the regulation, the police officer, if the officer, g- given the example earlier, comes back at 7 after the first time at six thirty, and you're still in operation or you're still on the road. There's the option for a second ticket. So we'd want to encourage persons at this time to really adhere to the regulation. It's for your safety. It's utmost important. So um, that would be it. And thank you for having us.
2: Um, thank you, Miss Lucas. And my final words are that we normally think hurricanes but I just want to say that hurricanes are not the only hazards to which we are exposed. And I really don't want us to let our guards down, as you said in your initial statement, or, oh, um, September it's over, so we get um, complacent. There's no space for complacency. I mean, emergencies, disasters happen at any time. And I just want to encourage the public to be prepared, all hazards, all people, that's what comprehensive disaster management is all about. Thank you for helping us.
1: Certainly a pleasure, and uh, any time, uh, we would be delighted to host for such important information. And I do hope the public has paid attention, although we hope that there would hardly be any need for this. Uh, but um, nevertheless, it's important to have the provision. So thank you for being with us today, and all the best. As she leaves, uh, the show continues, and in a few minutes, Dr. Ewing will be joining me here on Expressions. I mentioned early on the war that is raging now with Israel and Hamas. And uh, the reaction internationally. Some of you may have listened to President Biden's address, ensuring Israel that they have their back. There are others who are supporting the Palestinian cause. What Ever is the case, and I will not go into this because this is something that has been simmering for a long time. And I'm of the view that perhaps only God Himself could solve that deep hatred that seemed to be there between Israel and Palestine over land. I just hope, though, that peace will prevail. So as we transition to the next segment of the show, I'm going to ask my technical operator to play a song for me, if he has it as his fingertips, give peace a chance. We really need to have peace all around. Peace between Ukraine and Russia. Peace with Taiwan and China, peace with the Israelis and the Palestinians. Let's hope that that will happen.
0: Two, one, two, three, four...
1: Here on Expressions And I'm absolutely delighted To have as a guest here In Studio B Dr. The Honorable Rufus Ewing It's been some time Since I've seen you But you're looking great
4: Thank you Robert Same to you And a pleasure to be here And good morning Turks and Caicos uh, You're looking great
1: Yourself too Robert Oh thank you right. Well I must say Even in your absence, there have been times that I have lauded you for your contribution to the Turks and Caicos Islands, not only in the medical field, but as the premier of this country, because there are some who undervalue the contribution you made simply because you were a one-term premier. But like I've often said, that paying off of that uh, British organized loan or bond is what prevented you from doing a number of the things that you had to do or should have done. But like I s- said, it in so doing, you basically prepared a bed where someone else... <laughs> Play in, And that seems to be the role of the PNP quite often. But anyway, with that sort of a long introduction, <laughs> welcome, Dr.
4: Ewing. Yes, thank you, Robert. Uh, and just to comment on that point, you know, it, it is the role of governments to prepare a bed and prepare a road because you need to prepare for the next incoming government, whoever it is, coming over. There needs to be continuity in what you do. Um, so, because the, a work is not a, a finite thing where you see an end to it. Uh, there's always work to do, um, and and you should always be looking forward to the long term while taking care of certain urgent needs in the short term that you may get through during your term in office. But most often, most often, you're unable to get through any substantive, sustainable things in the short term that you are usually in office.
1: So I'll just leave that there. Right. <laughs> um well, I have no particular structure yeah. to this show, but one thing you do know, whenever a politician or a former politician or whatever comes on this show, there are bound to be some serious political questions. I'm sure. Though I know, on the other hand, we were going to talk quite a bit about Hamilton University. We'll mm-hmm. get to that. Now, I'm not sure which one you want first, but I'll, I'll play it uh, as you would like it.
4: All right. Well, I, I, I think we, let's go back to where I'm coming from, um, and then uh, we, can,
1: uh, we can continue to where I am now. Okay. <laughs> All right. That's a, that's a beautiful way to put it. Um, before we do that, though, I remembered back in 2012. Mm-hmm. It was my intention to be a candidate in the election right but you said to me hall i think you should be made speaker in that as you hosted expressions you seemed to be a very balanced individual and that's the kind of characteristic we'd like to have in a speaker i listened to you as a team player and you did shall i say come through although It was so delicately balanced, and I don't mean in a racist sense, but it took the white man (laughs) to secure my victory (laughs) as speaker. I never forgot that. And so good morning, John, (laughs) wherever you are. You were the one who rescued me. Uh, And that was indeed a very, very interesting four-year period. But anyway, since that... You basically left the scene, and you were away for maybe seven, almost eight years. Speak to us a little yeah. bit about that.
4: Well, not quite seven. Um, it, well, early 2017, yes, I left um, Turks and Caicos. Um, you know, being a medical practitioner, healthcare professional here in Turks and Caicos, I've, I've seen, I've worked in experienced healthcare uh, at every level. And I've worked um, in it as a physician, um, in it as a deputy CMO, CMO, Minister of Health, Premier. So I've seen it at all the different levels where it, where it, it, it is meaningful um, in developing healthcare policies. I, I thought it was necessary for me to get the experience internationally on the global scene, on the global stage, to look at the delivery of healthcare. Um, and to champion healthcare from a regional and global perspective, um, from that global platform. Um, and it's quite indeed interesting to have done so. Uh, you get to see one, uh, the challenges that we experience here in Turks and Caicos are not much different or any different from the challenges that other countries within the region and globally are facing. Uh, we are facing the same healthcare challenges, and we're all working towards solutions to address those challenges. And so, yes, um, I spent all of 2017 um, here in Turks and Caicos, actually, um, even though at that time I was working, I was working with the um, Pan American Health Organization as a consultant, as an international PAHU consultant, where I work in Turks and Caicos, but I will go on missions to different countries. My first mission was to Belize we work with the government of belize to look at their health financing system and the second mission was with the government of jamaica looking at the evaluation of the regional health authorities in jamaica that was not evaluated for over twenty years since it was established
1: if i um, interrupt you a little bit yeah, <laughs> i mean that certainly impresses me because so often we see it the other way around you would think of consultants from belize or jamaica coming to turks and caicos but here is a consultant from Turks and Caicos to advise government of Jamaica. Man, look here. I salute you.
4: Yeah. Great. Well, right. well we, we 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 do, and um, there are many other persons who in Turks and Caicos who are also capable of doing that. Uh, it just so happened that yes, I had the opportunity to do so, have the capacity to do so, and was able to engage. And a lot of it comes also with my work that I did with the Pan American Health Organization as the Minister of Health uh, showing up at meetings and voicing my opinions and giving my opinions in an expert manner. And so they appreciated that and they, they, they value that uh, and, and see that you are capable. And so it's easier for me to then integrate and get into uh, the, the PAHO system. Um, one of my roles that I would like to see, and I think uh, to see more, Persons from our region, from, our, from, from Turks and Caicos in the U- UK overseas territories and other countries within the Caribbean to actually um, uh, get into the Pan American Health Organization. Because if you were to look at the organization, um, I can count uh, on almost uh, my t- two hands uh, the number of Caribbean persons that are actually in pan-american health organization in washington dc very very few Um, and so we see that as a challenge and our role is to try to to encourage more nationals getting into that organization at the global level to be able to contribute back to their homes at that platform because these are the organizations that make and set health policies that the policies that we follow here in Turks and Caicos and yes. elsewhere, we make those policies, right, for countries to follow and, and help them and guide them through their policy development and advice. So, yeah, so I, I, I was fortunate, um, and, and, and I enjoyed that uh, period, having to be home at the same time while contribute. Uh, but they, 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 there was a deficiency, there was a vacant position in the office in Barbados um, and they thought that it was right within my um, cap- uh, capacity and invited me to, uh, to help out, uh, to be not only as a short-term consultant, but to come and, and, and be permanent in the post. And so I, I took that opportunity as a short-term professional in Barbados, um, covering all of the independent Eastern Caribbean countries with the exception of Trinidad and Tobago, um, and, and all of those countries were under that office, um, including the three UK overseas territories of Montserrat, um, BVI, and Anguilla. And so it was great. Uh, I spent three years in Barbados in that position, and um, what took me into the COVID era as well. <laughs> so I, uh, there I was able to integrate with most of the Ministers, not most, all of the ministers of health within, that, within those countries and the chief medical officers, many of many of whom I would have known anyway um, as a CMO, um, and many of them I would have known as a minister of health and <laughs> premier. So it's easy for me to it's easy for me to communicate with them, and and one of and, and I think the value that I brought to that firm is that the Pan American Health Organization is a health care organization. Uh, the but having the political perspective as a health practitioner, having the political perspective and how you view things, is not readily available in those organizations. Right. Um, and so in having a political diplomacy and understanding from the, from the, from the viewpoint of the politician. Yes. So when ministers in uh, Eastern Caribbean countries see PAHO coming to talk to them and they have challenges, you don't understand me, you don't understand me. When I step in and say, hey, I understand exactly where you're coming from. I've been there. This is how we do it. They appreciated that because they then see that, hey, yes, okay, I'm talking to not only a health, Professional. I'm talking to a the guy politician. who is in a country. <laughs> so they they then they then get buy in into what um, the public health practitioners in power are, are, are saying. So um, so that that brought value to my role um, as in 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 the Eastern Caribbean. Um, and then in 2021, I moved to uh, Washington DC to the headquarters in DC. I, I, I didn't for my full term in in Barbados, normally we will spend about four years in a location before they move you. Um, And I then uh, moved to D.C. where uh, I spent the last two years. And my my role in Washington, D.C. was basically uh, in each of the Caribbean countries, there are WHO Pan American PAHO offices, country offices that supply that that really respond to the healthcare needs of that country um, from the, uh, partnering with the ministries of health, and we have staff just like the one in Barbados that I left. So what we what I do as what we call a country program advisor was to um, work with, provide both logistic, technical, strategic. Political advice, guidance, support to those country offices in in um, in implementing the health programs of those countries. Uh, so I was responsible for all of the Caribbean countries, um, including the Bahamas office, which covers Turks and Caicos Islands, um, and also basically we would we would be the ones who would interact with all of the ministers of health who are coming to the organization and, and, and headquarters to um, give them the orientation to the organization, allow them to understand what, what we're able to help them with, uh, what health challenges they have that are prioritized and help them prioritize their health challenges and, and pro- provide both technical and financial support to them implementing their health challenges. Um, Turks and Caicos is unique in the sense that we are a, a UK overseas territory and we are not a member state um, of WHO. Um, And because of that, when you have big meetings like the directing council um, or the World Health Assembly, um, the U.K. is the member state party. And so they they will have to go under the umbrella of the U.K. So, yes, you have vote, but the vote is from the U.K., not Turks and Caicos. So that's something that sometimes um, vexing often uh, having to go into those meetings, even when I was Premier and Minister of Health, it, it was not a com- uh, it was a very uncomfortable feeling to be there and to and to not have the voice that you would like to. Um, but I, I know that since COVID, the UK government have been working with Turks and Caicos even more closely. Um, I've had the opportunity to have met with the UK counterpart, along with all of the overseas territories, in various meetings, and to help them prioritize the health challenges and to see how the Pan American Health Organization could help with it with their health challenges. Um, and wh- whilst working with the Pan American Health Organization, uh, it's, it's a very um, bureaucratic protocol-based organization. So there are, uh, there, there are protocols on how you engage countries. Uh, so even me, as someone who worked for them and from Turks and Caicos, I was not able to work in Turks and Caicos because I am a, um, I'm an international person and we don't; they don't post international staff in the countries base. of their origin, their home base. Yes. So I was fortunate that I was able to work m- more with Turks and Caicos through the Bahamas office because I supported the Bahamas office to support Turks and Caicos. Um, but it's not that I could have been posted in Turks and Caicos. Yes. Um, I, I, I saw persons try to circumvent that process by... Presenting their other nationalities. I could have easily said, I'm coming into the organization, I, I am British, I have a British passport. But no, I, I, I was too proud. I said, No, I'm Turks and because I'm coming in as a and exile into the organization, which, is, which is something that you don't see. Hold up right? your flag. Hold up your flag. There, there's only one other person, I think, who, who is in, within PAHO um which, who is um Taraline Malcolm she you may know her she was a former environmental health officer here in Turks and she was originally from South Caicos she's Jamaican Turks and Caicos but she was from Turks and Caicos all right. and she was all, she's also in the program I left in Barbados as well she's so 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 there are Turks Islanders out there all right and there are Turks and here who could be encouraged to join the organization get your either as an intern either as um as a technical officer and get the experience and, and come back and contribute, right? Um The one thing, again, the, the World Health Organization, uh, the Pan American Health Organization, as you know, is a UN um, entity, and uh, they are supposed to be apolitical. Um, and because of that, it, it, for me, I could not have... Uh, do anything that is remotely political yes. in the sense... Um, and so I could not come and speak nice. my mind about an issue in Turks and Caicos that that may be perceived to be political and justifiably so because you, you can they, they cannot be caught up between governments and one government party from another. And government you couldn't party. come in and you couldn't come in and openly campaign for and I your cannot, party. Correct. <laughs> <little bit>. <laughs> correct. <laughs> so so those are so those are some limitations uh, that I had. Um, while working uh, with the organization um, over the last five, five, years, five, and five and a half plus years.
1: No. Great. Before we move further, there is a little personal one that I want to jug your memory on. It was bandied about that when you uh, sought a scholarship uh, to go to university to study medicine, It was banded about that I, as minister, posed some stumbling block for you or prevented you. And I honestly don't recall having anything to do whatsoever with regards to your scholarship. And personally, I have never been the type to put stumbling block in the way of Turks and Caicos Islanders moving up. I've always tried to provide opportunities
4: I, no, I don't think. I mean, maybe you can think back. Um, and I don't. I don't think you were a minister at the time. Um, at the time when I went, to the, I went to medical school in 1988. Um, we took P and B took office. we 19. Which 1988? Brother, um,
1: 88 is a year I even hate to remember. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I was, you see, now, yeah. of course, that's setting the record straight yeah. because I was Minister of Health 80 to 84, mm-hmm. and then then for a short period 84, 86. But mm-hmm. then remember, the Constitution was suspended, and right. of course, the PNP so, took a trouncing, so- including myself. <clears throat> In eighty eight, in eighty eight, right. So and so, and
4: so it, was, it was. It was a PDM. I mean, it was uh, Randall, Arnold Arnold Swan, who was Minister of Health at right. the time. Right. When, when right. that when that took place. So no, it was not. That was not a, a, a issue. Um, there in eighty six, when I went to um, Barbados, I went to Barbados to d- to do my A levels. Yes. I graduated high school in eighty five, and I was offered a scholarship at the time to do general science in Trinidad and Tobago uh, of which I declined. I said that I did not want to be a general science teacher I love the sciences, yes, but that is not my goal I wanted to do either medicine or engineering um, more so medicine, uh, more than anything Um, and so I said I will wait it out, I'll wait the next year Uh, at that time I was, I applied for many jobs, you know as valedictorian and you're coming you apply for so many jobs and you went and I, I was so happy when no, I wasn't happy then, but in retrospect, I was happy that I was de- I was denied those jobs uh, because I went from banks to other firms, and they were saying no, nope, uh, they can't employ me. So I said, all right. So I stuck with the high school, and I was fortunate to get the job as a, as a science lab technician in the high school. Yes, and that set the stage for me, uh, allowed me to uh, to study more, improve some of my grades, and also keep in the academic environment keep motivated to continue my goals yes, that is yes. and so uh until the scholarship came um through british development bank i think bdb or uh, something like that uh, that
1: allowed me to do my a levels in my Beatles. the british development division division yeah, yeah. right um you see it's so, interesting to go back to these things yeah. in other words from whence we came <laughs> because like you mentioned those were the years when, under the British scholarship thing, the emphasis was on teacher education, mm-hmm. nursing, and yeah. policing. Yeah, hardly room for anything else. Yeah, you're so right. Yeah,
4: so, you know, so so yes, I, I was fortunate. You know, I, I, I said people in life when, when life show you balls that goes against what you think that you want. See it as a blessing sometimes, because you need to take that blessing and run with it. You know, God is directing you in a particular way. So being denied, I I, I saw being denied those job opportunities uh, is a is a major blessing to me at the time, and I can thank those persons for denying me the job opportunities to stick with the, with the high school and to do what. Otherwise, I probably would not be here today or anywhere else. I can tell
1: you. Right. Now moving on. I know you are undertaking, I'm leaving the direct political bit for the last. Mm -hmm. Um, I know you're undertaking a very ambitious but very desirable project for Turks and Caicos Islands to establish a medical university here. Speak to us of that. Yeah, Yeah, so uh, most
4: persons would have heard um, by now, we... Um we have uh, developed we are in the process of developing what we call the Hamilton University School of Medicine, um, uh, founded by a company a company, um, a, a company that's locally owned by myself, my family, um called Hamilton Education Foundation. Um, and this university is is meant to to start off in the initial phases, providing um, medical education for the training of physicians and doctors doctors uh, and this is training physicians for Turks and Caicos, for the rest of the Caribbean region and for globally um, there is a global there's a significant global shortage of physicians yes um, and more so nurses as well um, we don 't get to that as yet but uh, uh, global shortage of physicians and the demand is high and i give I get a reference to the school that we are doing is not a it is different from the typical, what they call, offshore medical schools. Like you have down in Grenada. Barbados, down in Grenada, in um, Dominica. Dominica, and Barbados. Um, those schools are established by um, mostly U.S. companies and corporations who come in and uh, will then use the, the location, locality, um, through rented facilities, etc., to establish... Uh, these universities where they bring predominantly U.S. students to teach for the first two years and then um, and then to go back using the U.S. curriculum uh, and then to go back after they've finished their U.S. MLA exams uh, and then to become doctors and go on, on to the residency in, in the U.S. That's, that model is fine. There's nothing wrong with that model. The only difference is that those schools, most times, it doesn't really—you don't get the true, the full benefit of the school being an environment. Yes, there's a great economic benefit, meaning that there there is a significant uh, spin-off. Bit, spin-off to the economy. For instance, in Grenada, and I wouldn't use Grenada too strongly because St. George's University in Grenada uh, there for several years since the '70s, and and they have. It, they were they were not able to integrate themselves almost fully into the Grenada, Grenadian community. They contribute what they contribute twenty five percent of Grenada's GDP. Wow. Twenty five percent. A quarter. Um so unlike the some other universities where yes you get the economic spin off, but you don't get the social context. You don't get the, the 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 research agenda. You don't get the physicians getting uh, being uh, through Grenadians and coming through um, the, the the system and remaining in, within the country. Uh, they they're not fully looking at the at the healthcare needs of the country specifically. They are doing globally, just churning out physicians. Yes. Yeah. So we want to be different. We we are we are different in that one. We will be uh, what I say, homegrown, homeown. Um, with, yes, with international participation and an international collaboration. Uh, we, we want to start on almost as if uh, you recall when the University of the West Indies started. They started as University College of the West Indies okay. um, and in collaboration with uh, University of London. And, and in doing so, they were, they were able then, they start off as a medical school. The medical class and one of our Turks Geeks Islanders, right, uh, Mister Bean, mm-hmm. um, was the first one of the first uh, is, was was a student in that first class, right. and we should be proud of. Yes, has had Bean. Um, oh God, forget. Uh, That's a bully. Bean, those brothers, yes, I, I believe. Um, Basil, right? most no, 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 it was, wasn't Basil. The the first name escapes me right now, but I'll give it to you. Come back to him in, in okay. a second because we have tr- okay. given him honors before. Right. He, he, he was one of the first um, members of that class. And since then, I, you know, and that's kind of strange, cause historically, because since then at UWE, the next graduate of that class was myself.
1: <laughs> what <laughs>
4: From the opening in, in, um from UE as a UE medical student, from the opening of the school, the first student, and then the next one is me in 1998. 1998. So, so <laughs> then <laughs> you, 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 so. Would, you
1: would have known Professor Golding. Yes. Yeah. Who basically was the one who s- sort of spearheaded that, or uh, had an integral role to play mm-hmm. in the establishment of that medical wing? Yeah, John 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 Golding, are you talking? About? Yes, yeah. and, and interestingly, his son is now mm-hmm. the leader of the opposition in Jamaica. Uh, Bruce, uh, Mark, 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 Mark yeah, 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 interesting. Yeah.
4: So, um, so yes, so. Uh, uh, so they had great support from the U.K., and so we want to basically establish ourselves um, in a kind of a similar model but connected globally through all of the entities um, from the U.K., the U.S., and Canada, um, where where we will have um, capacity building from universities that we can twin with and parallel with, uh, where we can have capacity building where our students um, after doing their first two years in Turks and Caicos, will then be able to do the next two years of a four-year program in one of those um, universities or um, teaching hospitals in the U.S., Canada, or the U.K. Uh, we we are looking to have uh, students from, as I said, from from the U.S., from Canada, from the U.K., from Europe, um, Asia, any part of India, Africa, and because those are the, those are globally where students are looking. Nice. To, to to become doctors and to ex- to spread their wing globally as well. So, um, we we see it as an opportunity for one for Turkish exiles mm-hmm. who are in the healthcare sector to have additional opportunities to be lecturers, facilitators, uh, teaching students in addition to just. Practicing medicine on patients, but actually training the next generation of physicians and healthcare professionals. Um, we we want to focus on public health, and, uh, and public health in public health research. So in in, uh, in we, we have so many students who are training, uh, who are doing the MPH and DRPH, and um uh, who who cannot find job opportunities in Turks and Caicos. Because there's no one there's no facility here to absorb them, we want to use those individuals to come and do lectures. We want to use those individuals to spearhead research and to do conduct research that are relevant to Turks and Caicos and collaboratively relevant to the region uh, and, and 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 so that they can have opportunity to um, progress in their professional development in Korea um, so the, the school will offer lots of opportunities within the medical and health education sector, in addition to the various spin-offs that you will get from a business perspective, having students here in Turks and Caicos at any one time. We're looking to have at least about 450 students at any one time maximum here in Turks and Caicos during the first 10 years of
1: our startup operations, and that those are our targets. Well, that's only really what. To have 450 students here, even if, let's say... 50 were from Turks and Caicos, and that's being rather ambitious. Mm-hmm. Um, I could imagine the spin-off into the local economy. You mentioned that down in Grenada uh, it accounted for 25% of their GDP. Uh, it certainly would be a significant boost to our economy as yeah. well as the expertise that is available. I, the other day, speaking about this on my show, I said this could very well be almost like health city is in the Cayman Islands yeah. complementing what the government has
4: yeah I mean it is health health city is different health city is uh health city is a, a pure medical facility um, that provides uh, medical services uh Two persons both in Cayman, and in and they're not, they're not a teaching facility. I, I know, but yeah. I was just thinking about the contribution. You know, that yeah, they, they correct. Have. They can have, and and we are looking to have that same kind because what we hope to do is that our uh, lecturers who are coming, we'll have permanent lecturers who are part of our faculty who are permanent, live here, permanently in Turks and Caicos, and then we have visiting lecturers, persons who come in. Um, and professors of uh, various specialties and subspecialties come in and te- lecture for two weeks at a time and return to their home base uh, and then continue teaching virtually. But while here in Turks and Caicos, it is our intention that they can offer some of their services uh, here to increase the, the pool of expertise right. that are available here in Turks and Caicos that persons probably will not have to go overseas for anymore because we're bringing... Um, the experts here uh, to you and and, at a, and i will i will say at a subsidized cost because their they they will be their primary goal is teaching um, and they'll be offering services On for side. afterwards we we are also as a university looking for, as i say partnering with with um, Universities like University of Miami, you know, Cleveland Clinic, um, Howard University, uh, Harvard University, we, ha- we have contacts and relationships in all of those establishments that we hope that we can partner with, particularly when it comes to research and collaboration, and to be able to get a lot of research grant funding to then conduct relevant research here in Turks and Caicos that can make a difference in the policies
1: that we develop
4: and in the care and treatment of our patients from a medical perspective
1: and- Establishing a medical university is a major undertaking, and uh, it must mean uh, considerable financial resources. Mm -hmm. Um, If you care to speak to us a little bit about that, have there been grave difficulties in terms of acquiring the finances? Then speak to us of the (coughs) physical structure, what the plans would call for.
4: Yeah.
1: Um, well, <clears throat> yes. The building university
4: is a university is a significant undertaking. Um, operating one is also not a costly undertaking, right. um, and we we had uh, we were intentional about a purpose-built facility uh, that will cost um, in 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 the range of anywhere from from twenty-five to to forty million dollars. Um, and looking at overall development not only just yes. the building but the program itself. Yeah. <clears throat> and um, we know that there, the, the, the financial model that we're putting forward, we know that we, it, it, is, it is able to uh, give great return to persons who intend to invest in the establishment of the university. When um, we look at our financial model, and financial projections, uh, that was vetted by Investec and all of our financial analysts. Uh, they see it as 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 one that is um, credible, one uh, that is that uh, is not over ambitious, or one that is doable. We haven't had any challenges in um, in financials thus far. Mm. Our financing goes in stages. Um, our financing goes in stages, and we have already. Uh, reach this stage, and hopefully by next year we'll go into our our um, first which is called series a round of of financing um, and but our, our intention really is to ensure that the that the university is at, at least eighty percent or thereabout um, home owned and I say home owned meaning uh, owned by persons who have significant stake ownership in Turks and Caicos. Yes. Right? Um, and and it's a, it, it, it is an investment that that we that persons when you invest in it, it it's a long haul it's not a it's not a money over, overnight money maker it's not that's not the intention um, it's a we look for stable progressive investment that uh, that can bring great returns to investors in the future um <clears throat> the planned physical plant we're looking at about around a forty eight thousand square feet um, building uh, that is about five stories um, of which the the ground floor is is a ambulatory care outpatient medical center that its primary function and role is to provide clinical teaching space for its students um, and also at the same time provide care to the community. the upper floors uh the second through fourth floor um, will have a combination of um, lecture uh, I main lecture facilities, lecture rooms, um, clinical simulation laboratories uh, for clinical simulation training, as well as um, uh, like things like anatomy lab, physiology labs, etc. and then the, the fifth floor more of a conference. Conference room facility that also doubles as a study space, self-study space for students at over 4,000 square feet that that our students could um, can go and study during the day, or use for medical conferences uh, um, at certain times. And because our role is to be able to host medical conferences, that that we are able to then uh, present our research or other re- others research. Um, in this academic environment, that benefits our local practitioners as well as benefit our um, students
1: who who, who will need to learn. Tell us a little bit about the location.
4: Um, the location, well, it, um, most persons know where Fish Fry is. So it's on that road going to Fish Fry, which is called Siboney Road. Um, that's on the left-hand side, coming I mean going down um, in Sydney Road, um, and it it was. But in that location because we <clears throat> we have an, an awesome tourism product. I mean, most persons who, uh, you know, and we need to have the aesthetics of the environment of Grace Bay. They have the aesthetics but also blend with the community of the bite. So we have that mix and that in between. And so, so actually we see it as in a perfect location to provide, to give our, our students the ambience be looking out from the fifth floor of yes. greece bay while studying at the same time while you can take care of local communities from the medical center and stuff in surroundings within the Bight region
1: great vision great um, yeah in um, fact i'm um, talking about the product tourism product uh accompanied um, a group yesterday in grand turk uh, around the grand turk island a bit and uh, who were attending this tourism conference down here in Providenciales. And I spoke to the nature of our product, which is indeed great. Now, uh, tell us a little bit about time frame, when we (laughs) expect to see building block and steel. Yeah, Yeah. all
4: right. So uh, we spent the last, I would say the last two years, uh, a lot of it was um, development of, several work streams of architectural design and engineering design because our facility, our facility is being built to international standards um, using the Facilities Guidelines Institute of the United States uh, where, where if necessary, we can get accreditation from a facility standpoint for our medical services as well as, um, as the facility itself. Uh, we, during this time period, we have also visited several health facilities uh, the last one being um, at the University, the Dell Medical School at the University of Texas at, Texas at Austin, where they hosted us and to look at their facilities and look at their rooms and to to, to draw from some of their examples and see how we can use it here in, in our facility. Um, so there's lots of work that has gone in. Uh, we have a we had a development a project development team looking at curriculum development and proposals to be submitted to the Caribbean um, Authority for the Accreditation of Medicine. Uh, education and Medicine are the Health Professions, which is CHEMHP, which is the accreditation authority that give you um, accreditation of medical schools. Um, we have submitted that and also submissions to the higher edu- Turks-, Turks Higher Education Board um, for licensure. So those are things that are still in the works and are ongoing. Um, we have already achieved uh, de- detailed design permission from, from planning um, and we'll be looking, hopefully, to get our building permit uh, pretty soon. And we're looking to To hopefully break ground by the first quarter of next year. Okay, so Um, we're we're looking to opening of the medical school within the first quarter of 2026.
1: Okay, great. So you have gone through the whole process, the EIAS and all. Oh yeah,
4: the EIAS finished. we have already gone through all that process.
1: Yeah. Okay, that's great. Mm -hmm. Well, in a few minutes, we'll take a little break, and I'm going to ask allow the public Mm -hmm. to ask any question pertaining to Hamilton University. However, I'm going to ask them to leave the political side (laughs) until I delve into that in the next segment. So don't rain on my parade. Okay. (laughs) I'm going to ask my technical operator in Grand Turk to play yet another song as we uh, pivot to the other section of the show. And remember, uh, when the phone lines are open, the number to call is one nine hundred twenty-two twenty-two. 007-946-2007, 007-946-2007, or, or you may text me at 244 As I said, do not when the lines are open, do not pose any political questions. Uh, leave that to me to start with, and then afterwards, of course, you will have the opportunity. All right.
0: Doctor, tell you to give me. Give me the the doctor Give me You Give me the to know it's give me the, the doctor me. Give me the Throw the medicine down inside me mouth. Give me the thing when the doctor orders me. Give me the thing. Yeah, you know that I want you. Give me the thing when the doctor orders me. Give me the thing. Can't you give me a kissy? Give me the thing when the doctor orders me. Give me the thing. Why you hide in the medicine? Give me the thing when the doctor orders. Give me the dink with you, Dr. me, Give me the taste, like a bonnet. Fuck you, man. Fuck
1: host, Robert Hall, and with me in the studio is uh, Dr. Honorable Rufus Ewing. I invite you to call in 946-2007 or 1-800-2222-007. We have a text here, which I'll go to first. It says, Good morning, Honorable Hall. Question for Dr. Ewing. Some time ago, there were discussions between InterHealth and UWI School of Medicine to use our hospitals as teaching hospitals. Can you provide an update on the status of these discussions? Um, well, no. I, I, the uh,
4: The University of the West Indies uh, evaluated, the, as far as I know, the Cheshire Hall Medical Center, um, to be used for internships. As you know, whenever uh, uh, we have a graduation, whenever our students complete medical school in Jamaica, there's a requirement for them to do do a one-year internship after completing medical school. Um, And uh, they assessed the facility and and was approved uh, for internships. Um, However... I think contingent to that, there needs to be a number of things needs to happen in order for you to have to run a successful internship program. Uh, you need to have uh, different levels of staff uh, within the hospital system to be able to supervise and teach uh, the those um, interns. Um, so you need persons who are what do you call the Senior house officer level persons who are registrar level, in particular the registrar, between those who are consultants. Most of the staff we have at the hospital now are consultant staff. These are persons who are seasoned senior people who have completed specialty trainings, etc. And 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 they work almost as consultants. Uh, and they find themselves also doing doing the 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 uh, not to degrade any particular kind of work, but doing the lowest of the work uh, um, that you would see, or doing the work of three persons that you will see in a teaching hospital facility. So until we can get those, that particular persons in place, that support personnels in place, like the registrar, then you will not be able to run a successful internship program, even though it has been approved and accredited by the UE to do internship. So there are some internal workings that need to happen there with the government um, to
1: in order to enable that to happen. Great. Uh, the number to call, one nine hundred twenty two twenty 2222 946-2007. Let's see who will be the first to call in. This is Expressions, the People's Programme. Uh, come to you every Monday night, uh, 6.30 to 8.30. And on... Wednesdays and Fridays, 10 to 12, except on certain public holidays or when the House and its committees are in sessions. Let's see who will be the first to call in, whether from Grand Turk, Salt Key, South Caicos, Middle or North, or here in Providenciales. Or, by the way, there could be some of you over on Parrot Key or Pine Key. Well, moving along... I'm sure all of you are more than delighted to hear the good news about the progress being made with the establishment of a medical university by our own Dr. Rufus Ewing. Now, let's switch to a different kind of pitch, Mm -hmm. whether we're going to play cricket or (laughs) whether it's going to be baseball, whichever one. Now... You spent four years as a representative and as premier of the country. In some ways, you must have a little bit of regret at losing the way you did. But what have you taken away from that? What do you recall as some of your greatest moments... And some of those that were not so great.
4: Uh, that's, a, that's a hard baller of <laughs> um, it. I, I, well, um, what I would say is that I, first of all I was grateful for the opportunity to uh, to have served um, in my capacity um coming coming straight from uh, a position uh, where uh, there was not much political play before got, getting into politics and been given the opportunity to to um, to represent my my party the Progressive national party uh, as their leader and also to take them to to a to a victory that to an election winning an election that we should probably not have won, or the intention was for us not to win. Um, it was a fight against all odds, and, and so I, I was grateful for that. Um, how we lost, how we lost, uh, I lost, the only regrets I would say are things that I've mentioned before. And I, say, and I see it with government, from one government to the next. I mean, the, the solution is not... The, the, way, the way we interact with the public, one, in terms of how we communicate... I still think that our communica- we, we as a party uh, w- did not effectively communicate to the people what we were doing and what was happening. Um, and, and I think that's the responsibility of the party mechanism to help the
1: government in power to do that, and that was not done. If you um, stick a pin yeah. just a minute, that is a fine distinction that a lot of people don't seem to appreciate the fine line between party and government and the responsibility mm-hmm. accorded to either side. Some people see the party just as a vehicle for to win an election. To win an election. Mm-hmm. But after that, everything is down. If the party is effective, it could make governance much better uh, for uh, those involved.
3: But right. Continue.
4: So 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 and and so and, and and there goes. And so, but there also needs to be effective integration and communication between the government of the day, the governing party in its in its party mechanism, to keep them informed. Um, and I think we 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 fail to do that. Uh, we fail to do that effectively. Um, We failed to do that effectively. The the party, the leadership of the party itself, not the lead, the the, the committee leadership of the party itself, we did not put in place a communication mechanism to enable the party to to communicate what we are doing effectively, for the people to understand what we are doing. And then you end up playing catch-up games. So I will put to say that one of my regrets is that... We did not have the opportunity to put that in place and do a good job at that. We are too busy doing
1: our work. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, <laughs> interestingly, because I have said it consistently during your tenure, and I said it earlier in a discussion with someone that during that time, for instance, if you had issued one press release, Charlene would have issued three or four.
4: Yeah, and and you and you and and, and sometimes it, it has helped. Uh, social media, and what we didn't prepare for is how do the the impact that social media now has in campaigning and how do you effectively use social media in campaigning. And and I don't think uh, any of the parties up to this day has really used it effectively the way it should be used to really get your message across and how do you get your message across and keep it in the public fair. There's a difference between a government press release and a political party's sure. statement or promotion—they—they they, they have two different marketing things. Uh, so, so I think we need to get that right. Um, we didn't—we didn't get it right. Uh, I also think that we could have um, integrated more um, or communicated more directly as a government with the people. Disres- uh, um, re- re- uh, this. This. Re- uh, even putting the party aside, the party mechanism. Not now the party have to help you with that because the party have to help you coordinate that. But as a government, yes, I mean, more frequent town hall meetings, more frequent. Even if you're saying the same thing over and over, sometimes saying the same thing over and over, uh, it helps you help for people to re- recall and remember, and you have that dialogue for you to keep to keep you on your toes. As so, they
1: say, re- repetition, repetition reinforces, reinforces knowledge.
4: knowledge. So, so, um, so I think yes. Uh, I would say that's another one of my regrets that I think we could do a better job, and hopefully you can organize your team to, to be able to your team within government and your team within your party, um, to get those things done, message done to the people and hear the people more. Um, politics is politics, and what people do, what people do to help you, or what people do against you, to make you lose or win? Uh, you can't uh, you, you can't look at it as regrets. People have to do what they have to do to, for them, and so there are lots of things that went down during the election in my time uh, that our party was not united behind us in the election, and 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 people have to realize that that uh, I, I think the most united our party was is in the the last election, not the 2016 one, when you were when every person who named PNP got behind the party in the election to make sure we win the election. And it and, and, and it, it resulted in the 14-1, to 1, right? Um, in my case, that was not the case. We had several persons, I mean, as we know, our former premier is running his own election, his own campaign, another one running his own campaign. Uh, you can't win an election like that. I mean, no, you
1: would, you would, you would, you a house know. divided yeah, among themselves cannot so, stand.
4: So... Um, so there's nothing I could you could do about that. I have no regrets about about that one in particular. I think the only regret might have been, could we have brought more of our people home? Could we have brought more of our people home? I remember Honorable uh, Music and I sat down many days. We look at each other and say, "Boy, we, we should have struck the deal better, <laughs> right?" Because at least, at least, look, like both of us sitting on the outside, uh, lost. I say, "Yeah, I totally would. That's what would have happened if you continue along what you're doing." Uh, but we laughed about it and joke about it, but it 's politics right um, everybody do what they need to do to to see how how they see things and move it forward and i can't fault them i can you can't be uh anybody you can, i can't be envious about them for it you're there to do what they' to do
1: right? yes i I often draw on examples regionally, and as you spoke about what I would call factionalization within parties. Mm-hmm. That can be dangerous, and uh, I've often spoken out about that. I recall leading up to the last elections in Jamaica, there was a faction, the Peter Bunting and those uh, somewhat mm-hmm. radical, or whatever. But what happened? Not only did they cause the PNP and P to lose, but they themselves lost. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's like when you dig in a grave, <laughs> you, dig, you, dig you dig one, one for, yourself for yourself too. too. That's you exactly,
4: know? and I and I think and I think um, parties have to have to learn from that. Uh, um, Absolutely. I, um, I, I in analysing, I, I I think the last PDM party uh, when they lost for they they didn't only lose because uh, the P come together, they lost because the PDM was divided as well. Absolutely. Around your leader. Absolutely. (laughs) Right? The PDM was divided as well. So, and that was a repeat of 2016. So, it's a lesson um, for political parties. If you want to win, you need to be united. You can't can't go in there divided. You need to be united.
1: Yeah. Around here, there is a tendency to quibble over age. I sent certain individuals the other day a clip. Uh, again from Jamaica, where there was this 88-year-old retiring politician, Danny Williams, from the JLP. Mm-hmm. And you should see the adoration that they poured on this man. I would hope that Turks and Caicos Islands Islanders would learn something from that. You know, instead of Oh, once you reach sixty or seventy, time for you to move on. This country needs a mixture of youthful dynamism, but seasoned, experienced individuals.
4: I, 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 to- I totally, yes. agree. I totally agree with you with that, Robert. I mean, I, I. <clears throat> again, you know, during our term in office, I, I think I was, I was fortunate. I was, even though we only had a a, a very one seat um, margin majority, um, I was still fortunate to have uh, a former two former chief ministers um, on my team, um, one in my cabinet, uh, and persons who were in cabinet who who had very diverse views and opinions. And I, and I and I don't want to drive this point because persons say that you had a 8-2, uh, 7, you know, only have a one-seat victory, and you had persons who were, who, who have different views and opinions. I love people with different views and opinions. I, I it, it, it enriches the information that you get to make decisions. Um, and so you have to be able to accept persons differences in views. Um, The only way, the only thing that you have to ensure is that the way they go about it, communicating their views and their differences in opinions and communicating in a respectful manner is the issue that you may have sometimes. But I think we should, uh, everybody should not line up and try to line up with what the premier will, will, will uh, it, it, what they think that he wants to hear. No, tell me what you truly believe, what I want you, tell me what you truly believe, because that's the only way I'll be able to make my, make my well-informed decision. Um, the, the other, another thing is that, yes, when I came into politics, as I said, I came into politics not uh, coming from a party platform, I mean I didn't rise through the ranks of the political party. Uh my only experience in the politics was one I'm having having been there and sat with ministers in the House of Assembly as a civil servant and supporting my ministers the best way I know how in in a in a in a, in a almost in a political way, but seeing their vision and, and trying to drive it through. And you learn from that. I mean I they they will tell you that I Spent most of my time in the House of Assembly and in, in supporting them and their papers straight through. And then running the political party, running the political campaign for the leadership for, um, for um, Honorable Clayton, Clayton Green, um, even though then that, that was a different story as well in terms of me doing that. But, uh, but that's my entry to politics. So, going to the political side of it, I was happy to have persons like Honorable Washington Misick and Honorable Norman Sanders on my team to give that guidance and and
1: more mentorship as well. But if I were to roll back the curtain just a little bit more, and of course I was on the scene from quite some time ago, so when it comes to the political history of Turks and Caicos Islands, I'm pretty well versed. Your father was uh, once uh, aligned with the PNOPNP and then Mm. eventually switched with the PDM. And sort of curiosity it must have been a difficult decision for you initially to decide whether you would have come with PNP or PDM because some would have thought, because of your father's more recent involvement, like it would have been a a perfect fit for you to go with the PDM. What was it that was the determining factor? Um, Well, the determining factor was
4: I, 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 I as a PNP... I believe in the PNP philosophy, PNP ideology, um, and the way they go about doing um, a business in, 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 in governing. Um, my, to the core, PNP always was. I, as I told persons, I remember my first cry on a political thing was when uh, I remember my father uh, is under the PNO loss, I think, against... Um, uh, which one was it? Was it w- Walter, Walter Cox. Cox? Was against Walter? Give Walter Cox when I mean, he was then running for the PDM, <laughs> but before the, the switch around, um, and and that was my first gripe, you know, walking down from from the Leo's primary school and coming up the road. And then it was the second. Hmm? <laughs> 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 and um, now. Since then, I was away for school most of the time, so I didn't really get involved in most of the voting and and, and things like that. Um, I knew Daddy and most of Daddy's children after it was still PNP. Right, that's all we knew. Um, when it became PDM, yeah, uh, it, it 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 was a, a little more difficult. It becomes it became easier as you get more constituencies in Provo. And just was relegated to blue hills because persons live elsewhere; they could kind have of voted elsewhere, and you don't have to worry about having to, having to not vote for your father. I guess from that from that perspective. Right. Um, but I, my, my, um, I've, it, as a civil servant, and coming home, I will say that uh, I first came home and working along with the PDM as a civil servant, and I saw the way the PDM operated at the time, at least the then-chief minister and them. Um, and I, uh, I i will say one, one politician that I appreciated as a PDM as well, I appreciate all of them, but I appreciated more and work with Clarence Selva. I have no... I, 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 I have a lot of time for Cla- Honourable Clarence Selva. Um, he, he tried his best to do his work as he see, see fit. Um, uh, but after they left office and left this scene, um, and the new government came in and I started working with them, I, you, you saw the difference. You saw the energy behind how you get things done. You saw the, receptive, the receptiveness to, to, to vision and visionary stuff to get things done. Um, and, and I think that is what I took away most in saying, in solidifying, because there's never a time when I really wanted to, say, go P- PDM or anything like that. Right, um, but that solidify. I know I had options, but that solidify my where this is where I am going. Another another decision is that at the time I really did not like what the British government was doing to Turks and Caicos. Taking away our constitution is one thing, but you go you your your objective was to decimate a political party. You know, it's like, because that is the impression that I was getting. You may say, okay, uh, I have a church, and this church have a bad pastor. But instead of you just targeting the, 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 the pastor, church. you okay. want to target the entire church. Yeah, I hear you. So everybody who named PNP who was in that church, or uh, the church itself was, for my, that's how I saw it, was being targeted. Right. Um, and so I could not, in in all good conscience, say I'm going to sit aside and allow um, a, a very significant, noble, well-established institution be dragged through the mud, and um, and I, it was important for me to come on board and not only uh, raise the reputation and get back your integrity, the reputation of the political party, but Turks and Caicos in general, and. And those are one, some of the reasons why um, I came forward and why I came forward with the party that I came forward with. Even though I knew it was like going against all laws, like, oh, the hell are you going to go come and, <laughs> come and take on a political party that that everybody's looking at? You're, you're dead in the water. All right? But that are uh, some of my...
1: Oh, yes. I remember at the time everyone thought that that was an election that the PDM ought yeah. to have had you know, considering all that went down. I remembered too, during that period, bearing in mind the cost that we were paying for the SIP trials. At one time, he refused to budget for it. Mm -hmm. But, of course, with the colonial system that we have, at the stroke of the pen, the governor ordered it to be done. I'm sure you (laughs) recall that. And when you look at where we have come from then until now, and... uh, Actually, we're at the stage now where we are awaiting the sentencing of two individuals on Thursday. And the the trial of the other three are yet to commence. Do you care to comment anything on that whole saga?
4: Well, first of all, I, I, uh, you know, when I took office, we... We, we uh, I created a, a there's a CARICOM um, group that I assembled after my first meeting in CARICOM in Haiti, and then um, when I made the plea in a CARICOM the CARICOM uh, heads of government meeting, then uh, commissioned a group headed by um, <clears throat> by the Bahamas uh, to to look into the matter of Turks and Caicos, and they did, and the recommendations at the time was for more to have a truth and reconciliation kind of um, uh, uh, um, solution to this rather than going through the courts that they're going through now that was and, what I advocated publicly yeah. and I think that's the best way we that's that's the way it should have went you know we presented that to the u k government um, as well um, they they weren't going to hear it so we presented that as well as I made representation to the u k government to that uh that this bill for holding these uh these inquiries and also the court, the hearing the SIPT should be should should be funded by the UK government. Um because it 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 it, it, it was it's the responsibility of the UK government for good governance of the territory. And if they found that there was something impropriety or, or or corruption and etc, it is under the governor's watch. And they should uh, then take responsibility, as Helen Garlic had suggested, and pay for it. Sure, right. Um, so that's why yes, I took the stands in, in trying and and I know it's kind of futile because I know they were going to veto it anyway or not a, not assent to uh, to any bill in that regard anyway or, or 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 just pay for it because they have they they, they control the budget and they they could put in whatever they want to put into the budget. The CFO right. had that power, <laughs> so. But I think we—it it was the right thing for us to do—to deny payments. Um, we know that we. What I did not want to do is create an uh, kind of an inequity situation where you may deny payment for for the um, for the defense, but the prosecution had full all the full power. And the guys who need the QCs as well to suit up to to counteract the the yes, the, yes. the prosecution um, QCs also should have equal power. So you have to be careful of how you're doing that. Um, so I, I, so yes, it is kind of sad that we we still here and there's still no end in sight um, to the to the end of the trial because there will be appeals and there will be appeals on appeals. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I know that it's a it's a long road ahead um, and i think that in particularly how it was one said that maybe there'll the possibility maybe for appeal to go against um, judgment even if the guys win i don't know if that's how what that has been sorted out or how true that is or not um, but we have spent a significant amount of money that could have been spent elsewhere on these trials that no one really have any appetite for anymore even those who are strong advocates for the trials in the initial stages still up to this day don't have any appetite for for these no one is interested anymore right um what we're paying for it does not really is way exceed uh the crime that that is that is alleged Way exceed the crime that's alleged so yeah I don't. I don't know if there's a mechanism for us to, after all of this is done and and gone and uh, and, and over. whether there's a uh, there's a recourse mechanism for us for some kind of repayment of these money that we spent.
1: I suppose that will be as tough, for, if not. As tough or if you not know, tougher battle than the cries for reparations, particularly <laughs> if
4: if they, if they if they lose, because it's like it's like us saying Turks and Caicos, like saying, hey, uh, you, you, if you if you if you if the crown loses, then you know they should pay costs. They
1: cost from Turks and Caicos. Pay Turks and Caicos back their money. I know what you mean. It, it, well, it, anyway, um, let me move on a little bit. Um, I'm going to send a little off break away this time. Now, I take it politics is in your DNA. I don't think it is coincidental that you're back home at this time. Yes, to concentrate on the establishment of Hamilton University. But the question is, do you still have political ambitions? Do you intend to contest the next elections, and if so, what level do you intend to enter at? Do you still have the same leadership ambitions? I told you it's an off break. All
4: right. Well, <laughs> bad as you well, wish. I, I I will say one. Being coincidental, uh, no. This is not this is not something that a strategic plan to coincide with any political. Return. Um, it just so happened that we reached the stage in my project um, where where my my presence and my leadership in the project is is of is is very significant in seeing the project through at least the next year um, from a financial resource mobilization standpoint, through networking and glo- global collaboration standpoint with universities all over the world. And I could not have done I could not do those things under the umbrella of um, being an employee of the Pan American Health Organization, the UN organization. It's almost equivalent to being in politics, right? So I could not do that under that umbrella. So my only recourse was to... Actually, what I did before I came, I had asked for a leave of absence from the Pan American Health Organization for a year and a half to be able to do this. Uh, But they saw that it was not um, in their interest to do so. Um, And so I said, well, okay, well, this is so important to me that I will have to take. I will have to resign in order to do this.
0: Mm-hmm.
4: So, um, so yes. Yeah, so politics was not the motivation for me to be here at this time, even though elections are way back when. Um, do I have interest in politics? I think that my my contribution to Turks and Caicos in the political arena landscape uh, is not done. Um, I think I have a a lot still to contribute to politics um, and to the governing of Turks and Caicos. With respect to the next election, no, I do not see myself as someone um, outside of the leadership, no, not being interested in in, in running uh, for the leadership of the Progressive National Party um, in the next election. If I intended to do so, Robert... I know that I'm way behind, I'm way late of time. You, the leadership is not something that you just jump up at the last minute and say, I want to be a leader. Yes. I want to run. And some people do it so without any track record, without any work being put in. It's not that kind of thing. It is something that you, that you would, would have to prepare yourself for. Um, and, and see it through to the end. So, no, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not interested at this time um, in being a leader of the Progressive National Party to take us through in the next election. Um, with regards to to, to running, dep- depends on when the next election is held. Yes, I can see myself prob- probably running as a candidate in the next election, if I have taken care of the work that I have to take care of, that I came to do first, and that's my that's my um, that's my goal and that's my
1: priority right now. And if you were to run, uh, would you be concerned about running in a single member constituency or at large? And say concerned about it. Um, if if you made your decision to run, uh-huh. would you uh, seek a single member? Seat or at large.
4: I'm, I'm 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 comfortable. I'm comfortable anywhere. I mean, I always I always felt uh, running at large. Uh, running at large, it felt good because you were able to feel responsible and in touch with the people of the length and breadth of Turks and Caicos, and that is the beauty of it. Um, but I also also I felt jealous of the single member. Constituency people before because they had a constituency to take care of yes. that they can call their own and they, they can actually focus their energy and see their work, mm-hmm. right? Even though some don't do it, um, <laughs> I I I I would love to have that, but I also realize that you know um, you you as a party you need to if you're going to join the party to win an election, you need to work with the party to see where your strength is and where it is needed. Because it's not a matter of it's about the party winning the election. So I'll give you an example. Why, why take someone like me to run in a constituency to win a seat when you don't have as many people who may be capable of winning at large? Because not everybody is capable of winning at large. Right? right. right? So those are things you'll have to take into consideration um, when, that, when that time comes. Um, it is also good to have an idea of what your team is going to look like. So, having even now being on the outside looking in and trying to make prepare to see how the ground lay, who you're you running with, who are your teammates, and whether or not you're really really going to put the effort behind, and not knowing who who the captain of your ship is going to be or likely to be, and who you're going to running with it's a, you have to weigh significantly on decisions that you have to make yes when, you, when you're going to run um, so so I hope my I hope my th- there's no covertness to what i'm doing there's no uh, i'm i'm saying i'm straightforward i'm not saying no i'm not saying never um and i'm not saying
1: yes that i am but what i take from it is if elections were held later rather than earlier and you were able to complete the work that you wanted to do then you will have your hat in the ring. That's what I take away from it.
4: Well, that's what you take away. Yes, persons could, could convince me to do so. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I probably will be, can be convinced to do so. <laughs> Let me go to some of the texts, because uh, several of them have been coming in. And this person says, good day, good morning to the Honorable Rufus Ewing. It's so nice to hear you on the radio this morning. It's nice to have you. God's blessing always. This person says, asked Dr Ewing to speak to the possibility of Turks and Caicos Islanders being part of an investment opportunity which his project will afford them. I think you mm. you, you may want to go over that, but I think you said said that early on mm-hmm. yeah I think that's about it. The phone lines are open one nine hundred twenty two twenty two zero zero seven nine four six two zero zero seven. My guess is. Dr. Honorable Rufus Ewing, we await your calls, uh, we await your comments. Well, let me ask you, since your return, what changes have you noticed, whether it is in terms of the development, the social fiber, fiber of the communities, Whatever. What changes have you noticed? I know you've been coming and going.
4: Yeah.
0: All right.
4: Well, one of the changes that i noticed, yes, there are lots of development opportunities uh, that are taking place in Turks and Caicos, um, from infrastructure development, major tourism projects, et cetera, et cetera. Um, two things that I noticed that isn't just happening, it was
1: always one. Oh, sorry. One second. I think we have a call. A caller, if you're there, go right ahead. Caller, this is Expressions. Perhaps we have lost that one. Okay, complete yeah. your.
4: Yeah, um, it, it's one. I, I I think we need to have, uh, have great uh, more Turks and island Islanders being able to participate in the economy and the development that is happening. Um, participate from both investment perspective and participate from. Um, top leadership and management perspective, and running their own businesses and entrepreneurial perspective. So, I think we need to, because lots of developments taking place, and we we don't want um, Turkish analysts to be left behind in that regard. The second one is that um, I think yes, we have infrastructure, but our infrastructure is aging, and it we need more infrastructure from roads to our uh, communication, our telecommunications, um, our...
1: Yeah. Sorry to interrupt. We have our first caller for the day. Caller, go right ahead. Welcome back, Doc. I'll put it on. Welcome
4: back, Doc. Welcome back.
1: Uh, would right. you repeat it? He's just putting on his headphone now, so go ahead.
4: I said, welcome back, Doc. Welcome back, all right? Uh, we need you in the Turks and Caicos. Welcome back. All right, uh, does sound like Skipper.
1: Thank you, Skipper. <laughs> All right, um, thanks. I was just quietly seeking a little extension. Now let me make it clear. This is, uh, we have yet another caller. Caller, go right ahead. Uh, good afternoon, caller. This is Expressions. Go right ahead. We apparently don't have that connection. Keep on calling. And this person says, good morning, Honorable Hall. I am not know if you read it already. Question for Dr. Ewing. Some times ago, there were discussions between InterHealth and UWI School of Medicine to use our hospital as yes, teaching we hospital. Did we, did. That yeah. we did one already. Mm-hmm. Okay, good. And then the person comes back to say, Con- convey congratulations on Hamilton University to Dr. Ewing, and best wishes. Mm-hmm. Thank you. So n- number Where? to call, one nine hundred twenty two twenty two. 2222 Zero, zero, 007 or 946 to zero, zero, are there any other callers Dr. Ewing you yeah. were making comment right as i was just saying so uh, I, I think we need to
4: do a bit more and pay more attention to the infrastructure um, i uh, looking at our roads um, and the state of our roads and the, the repair. I talk about a major highway thoroughfares. Sort of affairs. Um, we We are doing more infrastructure development, but I noticed that our, I mean, our fire station and sub-fire stations need to be expanded. Uh, there are lots of social social infrastructure that we need in this country to keep pace with the development that we are having um and maybe and maybe one way we can do that and i think someone mentioned this to me just the other night you know is that we it, it's not for us to stop development or slow it down but those persons who want to do major development they could make a commitment to certain things such as building fire stations uh police stations uh, help to fix roads, have to p- support primary schools or high schools, wherever, to do more like that um, so it would be less uh, uh, um, burden on government um, to do those things. Right, So maybe part of the development, women have to take that into consideration for persons who really want to come. If they don't, then fine. We probably don't need your development. Um,
1: I like the idea. But I wonder what would be the response of the British, because uh, you will recall years ago we used to have the scholarship, with a scholarship fund mm-hmm. uh, where developers would sign an agreement to make certain contributions. But uh, the Interman administration discontinued that and say, well, if there's any contribution, it has to go into the consolidated right. fund.
4: Right. So I, I, I think we now need to go beyond this... Uh, from the word the British administration put in in, in not being, uh, or not want to, the, the idea of ring-fencing funds. They were against ring-fencing of funds for yes, yes. this purpose. And I think we see that we need to do that. I I, I think the scholarships uh, fund is a fund that should be created, uh, that developers and development can, communi- can, can put into. We can also find other ways. To fund that scholarship fund as well, other than developers uh, through development agreement, um, because yes, we need we need more scholarship for our students.
1: Right, and this person texts to say, "We need the great doctor to run again. Please give it another shot. I'm sure you will come lucky the second time around." <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
4: you don't win all of them. Politics come in cycle. right? Yes, <laughs> yes.
1: Well, uh, Dr. Ewing, we have been at it a good hour and a half, or thereabouts. And, um, of course, there are a number of other questions that I could always pose, but uh, perhaps for you to get back to your own schedule, I offer you the opportunity to make some closing comments. Right. Well, um, I would, uh, well, first of all, thank you for hosting
4: me on, on the expressions and continue doing a good job that you do here. Um, a, for, to Turks and Caicos, it is a pleasure for me to be back home full-time, even though I've been coming home just about every month for the last two years. Uh, but it's back to be home full-time. Um, it, great to get back into the social social circles and to better understand um, the, the needs of the people in our communities. Uh, it is also great for me to be able to have the opportunity to speak freely without having to feel as if I'm hiding from somebody and can't open my mouth the way I would like (laughs) to do it, (laughs) right? Having worked for an organization uh, for the last five-plus years. So it would be great to have that freedom of speech. Um, And I'm looking forward to uh, working with you in Turks and Caicos to support the development of the Hamilton University School of Medicine um, and to keep you informed as much as how it's progressing, um, and, yes, how persons will, can be able to participate in it in which one way or the other, particularly those persons within the health sector who will have, where there will be lots of opportunities for them to participate. Um, so, yes, yeah, so thank you, and I'm
1: happy to be home. Well, in conclusion, let me say um, it's certainly been a pleasure hosting you, and I've said consistently, privately and publicly, You are an individual that I greatly admire and do support. I wish you much success in your undertaking with Hamilton University. And in the political arena, if you so decide to return, I certainly wish you the best of luck. Turks and Caicos Islands should appreciate the kind of talents that we have in you. And I wish you God's blessing. Thank you. Thank you, Robert. Well, to all of my listeners, uh, those who text and uh, the person who called in, I want to thank you all. Uh, Join me again on Friday, God Spears Life, when we hope to have yet another interesting, informative, perhaps educational expressions. God bless.